one. This game is tied. Save at the plate. He lays out and he makes an incredible catch. To the track, to the wall, ball game. Hey, Birds fans, Harry Canary here. Welcome to Nirvana for your ears. It's inside the birdcage, the Sioux Falls Canaries podcast, with insight into the latest team developments, plus interviews and classic stories from colorful personalities of Canaries past and present, and your chance to win a free car. Just kidding about the free car park. This isn't the prices ride. Just making sure you're still paying attention. An entertaining podcast will have to be enough. So pull up a Barca lounger and crack open a brew because it's time to go inside the birdcage. Here's your host, John Gaskins. By the way, Barca lounger spelled backwards is regular crab. Thank you, Harry Canary. What an honor it is to be introduced on a podcast by the Harry Canary. Not Harry Carey, Harry Canary. If you were at the ballpark this summer for Sioux Falls Canaries games, some people badgered Harry about drinking beer other than Budweiser. He'd have Kona Big Wave, and he'd have Leinen Kugels, and he'd, and he'd have to explain that Harry Carey drank the Budweiser. Harry Canary can drink whatever he wants to. And so, my name is John Gaskins, as Harry mentioned. Uh, I am the media director of the Sioux Falls Canaries. Jumped aboard right before opening day this past summer. Had a blast. The most fun I've ever had on a job. And I'm not just saying that because I'm in the presence of my boss, the general manager of the Canaries, Duel Higby, who will be along for the ride on a lot of these podcasts. Duel, good to have you. You brought me a Coors Light. That's right. It's fine. I'll take it. It's free beer. Free beer is good beer. And... I'll enjoy whatever I want. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a drink while we are chatting with our very first guest of the very first inside the bird cage, the manager of the Sioux Falls Canaries, Mike Meyer, who is not with us here in Duel's office at the bird cage. Mike is is where are you, Mike? I'm in Tucson, Arizona. You poor thing. Wow. <laughs> and you mentioned that you have a record temperature in Tucson today. We are, yeah. Record heat. It's 90 degrees right now, so it's it's a little warm for this time of year. <sighs> Man, how that must be so uncomfortable. That, that has to suck. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's a grind. You know, I know most people are dealing with snow and cold and all that sort of thing, but we have our issues too here. We're, we're Well, we feel for you. We're sending our good vibes, warm vibes your way because it's about half that temperature here. Well, we got 62 coming tomorrow, it sounds like. so. Yeah. If, if I'm not in the office, I'm out on the field getting the bronze I was gonna going to say, so. that's going to tempt Duel to go out there and work <laughs> on the field. I don't know if any general manager in baseball that works on the field for uh, hours after a game, every game. So we're doing this podcast, and out of the gate, why not get right into what the long, strange trip to the ship 2020 was for the Sioux Falls Canaries, uh, you know, bursting a lot of dams, when it comes to the last decade of on-field success and making the championship series of the American Association. But as we know, it was anything but ordinary getting there. The length of the season, the format of the season, doing it in a pandemic, figuring out how to do it in a pandemic in front of fans and sharing the home stadium with the St. Paul Saints for about half of that shortened season, 
everybody involved, including the fans, went through something different this year. So we're going to get a behind-the-curtain look at what it was like to go through for the general manager and the manager of the Sioux Falls Canaries. And before we do that, real quickly, Duel, why the Inside the Birdcage podcast? Why not? Podcasting is kind of the new thing. This is something we've wanted to do for a number of years now, and and I guess no better time to tell a story of of what goes into making a season happen than uh, the year of 2020. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Describe what it was like this past season, 2020, uh, in, in America, in a pandemic, when there was no minor league affiliated baseball. There was no baseball in Omaha or in Des Moines. I mean, Sioux Falls for a while, when the Saints were here, it was the only place that was playing baseball, minor league baseball in America in front of fans, besides Fargo and Milwaukee, the other two places that the league designated. And as most people know, we only had six teams out of 12 in the league this year. Uh, and for a while, just three places that were hosting home games. And so, it, it, again, wild, long, strange trip. Duel, how would you describe the 2020 baseball season from a general <laughs> manager standpoint. Well, it's a season we never want to do again. I'll tell you that much from, from the behind the scenes, kind of the operational side of things. It was the longest short, short season ever. What was it? 70 games, 60 games in 70 days. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just insane. It was so much back and forth. You know, when was it? February, March, when you started to hear coronavirus and, and, and COVID-19 and, you know, obviously overseas and, and, you know, Mike and I talked pretty much every day on what, what it's going to look like. And we thought, well, you know, all the plans were, we're going to be playing on time. And, and sure enough that, you know, even the stampede season cut short and all of a sudden you see all these cases spiking up in, in New York and all these hospitalizations and, and, um, you know, all the, all the, all, all the stuff you see on the news that was just crazy. So we're, you know, as we're getting closer to the season, there's some talks that, hey, maybe we're not going to play. Um, or what what's it look like if we do play and maybe not all these teams can play. So there's just so much back and forth. It was just, it was crazy. And honestly, we didn't even know, you know, sitting in my chair, I didn't know we were going to play until literally like two hours before we announced it uh, to the public. So it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. We had all, all these hypothetical situations and, and uh, yeah, it was, it, it was crazy. It was difficult. Um it was a grind, it was, but you know what? Dang it, we we played pretty darn well, and and uh, you know we're able to have fans. One of the few places, like you said, in America that that played games in front of fans. So it it was crazy. It was long, but but we made it through, and and we made it through pretty successfully. And Mike, how would you explain being the manager uh, of a team playing through a pandemic in minor league baseball in 2020? Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a grind, and and for me. For me, it was, you know, it was definitely a grind and, you know, it was the job is stressful as it is, you know, you getting judged by wins and losses on the field. And a lot of the times you can't, you can't control, you know, which way the ball bounces or if, you know, a guy gets hurt or, or things like that. But when you throw in playing in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, we were testing every Sunday and just fingers crossed that we don't have, you know, a guy or two test positive knowing that it's not as easy as just calling somebody up and saying, Hey, I got a roster spot open. You ready to go? Because we can't bring them in, you know, until they pass a series of tests and, and make sure that they were able to bring into our group, you know, safe, safely. And, you know, making sure our guys were doing what they could to keep everybody safe and keep the league going, 
you know, was, it was the most stressful experience that I've been through. And, uh, hopefully we, we never have to go through that again. Um, you know, but I'm really proud of our, our unit of, of young men that we had and, you know, the front office and the ownership group and obviously dual, um, you know, for doing everything they could to make it a good, a good environment for us and make it a safe place. And, you know, and for, for allowing us to, to go out and play and compete and try to win a championship. Yeah, there, there was, there was nothing normal about this season from, from building the roster to planning. I mean, we didn't even really have any host families this year and we rely half our guys, you know, put up into host families. We got, we got a great set of host families that, 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 that love doing it. And we, we simply weren't able to do that. I mean, just, just even down to the housing side of things, it was so abnormal. It was just, it was crazy. It wasn't allowed to have host families. It was allowed, but you know, I, I take it back. We had, we had two families that did it. Um, they're really, really close with, with the, the players that they had. Um, so they elected, they, they wanted to do it. Obviously they knew that, that, that there were some risks involved and, and they might have to change their lifestyle a little bit too, because the, the season simply wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been possible without the buy-in of, of the players. Um, you know, most of our guys are, are 23 to, to 28 years old. And, and, you know, when they're not at the ballpark on a, on a Friday night, some, some of them like to go blow off some steam downtown and have a couple, uh, um, soda pops only or, on Fridays? or whatever they have. Hey, <laughs> hey, that's right. Only Fridays. And they simply weren't able to do that this year. I mean, we, we made sure that everybody that's here, knows the uh, knows the risks and knows what's at stake if they don't take this seriously. All we needed was 70 days of commitment out of these guys. And, you know, as far as we know, they they did a really, really good job. So it was kind of a monk-like existence, basically. Or supposed less, to yeah. be. I mean, we, we basically tried to mimic the NBA bubble. I mean, you, who you see in this clubhouse is who you're going to hang out with all, all summer long. You know, and and do they all kind of live in the same place somewhere near the stadium? Pretty much. I mean, I think we had two apartment complexes. One had probably 10 guys. The other one had probably 15 guys. Um, you know, so they're all living together. You know, they got, they got two, three bedroom apartments that they're hanging out in. And, and that's, uh, that, that, that's kind of what they did. And, and Mike, you can attest to it a little bit better than I can. Honestly, I think it was a huge advantage for us with building a clubhouse culture and keeping these guys, you know, even tighter than they normally are. Yeah, you know, for, for me, you know, normally, you know, after games, you know, guys will get showered. They'll go, go do whatever it is that they're going to do. If you're the starting pitcher that night, you might want to go out and grab a beer, you know, with a couple of your buddies or, you know, anything like that. Um, and like Dual said, that, that just wasn't – it wasn't okay to do this summer with the pandemic. And, you know, for a lot of our guys, they would, you know, get together at one of the guys' apartments and they'd play cards – you know, or play video games, um, you know, and when we'd go on the road, it was just going to the ballpark or being in your hotel. So we had to make sure, you know, even getting food, takeout orders, mobile orders, you know, we're not dining in anywhere just because we don't know, you know, what their practices are and if it's safe. And, you know, if one guy tests positive, then we got to quarantine everybody and, and, you know, do that sort of thing. So even down to just finding food on the road, became, you know, a little bit more challenging than, than normal. Um, you know, and like Joel said, our guys were great about it. They understood the risks. They understood that it's part of their deal to make sure they're taking care of themselves, you know, to, to make it safe for everybody else in that clubhouse and, and, you know, and doing it for the organization and for the league as a whole. And, uh, you know, to be honest, we didn't really have any issues at all this summer. Um, it went way more smoothly than I, that I think most people thought it was going to, 
Um, you know, and it was really kind of a, a neat experience for, for me and for the guys, but a very stressful one at that. Yeah, I mean, it had to get, I mean, it had to get a little bit boring playing cards that often, all the time. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, the figure well, Yeah, out. you know, you know, normally that's, you know, stuff like that's during rain delays in the clubhouse, you know, you'll get a couple games of cards going or, you know, something like that. But, you know, a lot of the time when you've pitched that night and you're not, you know, you know, you're not pitching the next day or two, you know, you can go out and grab, uh, you know, grab a, some wings and have a couple of beers and hang out or you know, see relatives or your girlfriend comes into town. Well, we didn't, they didn't even get to do that. You know, they, they were so isolated. They, they didn't, we didn't really want anybody outside of our little bubble coming into our bubble. Um, you know, that, that could, you know, bring COVID to our little area. So it was, uh, it was pretty isolated. It's the first time that I've gone without seeing my wife and kids for the entire season. And, you know, so it was, it was tough on everybody. Yeah. I think guys felt, privileged and, and and lucky to be able to, to have a season here this year when most of their buddies are are sitting at home on the couch just waiting for an affiliated uh season to start and in fact it didn't yeah mike did you how did you see it from that way when it came to the guys attitudes because a lot of us would just assume if we take at least if i take myself back into my 20s no matter what profession or line of work i'm in uh freedom get especially getting out of college is just at a premium. Like I get to go out and do whatever the hell I want and meet new people, uh, and friends and beyond friends. If you catch my drift and these guys, uh, you know, I mean, not these guys, that's part no. of the fun. I mean, that's part of the fun summer lifestyle of, of baseball and baseball players. Uh, cause you mentioned you could, they could even see their girlfriends. And that's part of what I was going to ask is, well, you can't even make new quote unquote friends. Um, as you normally would going out to the bars or whatever, after, after a game, after any games. So, uh, dual says though, that for the most part, they were, uh, they, they were putting baseball at a premium, which is what we'd want to see, but it, it's harder for us to envision not being a little bothered by the things you couldn't do outside of your job. Uh, what did you see from, from the clubhouse point of view or hear from your players about that aspect? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I I think everybody felt a little privileged, you know, that we were one of the six teams playing. Um, you know, obviously not being able to see our families or girlfriends, you know, was tough. But, you know, as a player, knowing that there's thousands of guys that, that would love to be in your shoes, you know, on a team playing in a season, you know, progressing as a player, um, you know, they would have loved to switch places. And as far as, you know, managers, coaching staffs, trainers, you know, Ben Gannon, our athletic trainer was scheduled to be the athletic trainer in Lincoln, um, you know, but they didn't end up playing. And so we were fortunate enough to get him back for another season. And I know for me, you know, all the managers that weren't able to go from the American association, the six of them, you know, they, they would have loved to have been in our shoes and, and be there. So as stressful as it was during the season, you know, trying to compete during a pandemic, I think all of us ultimately felt, you know, you know, that, that privilege that we were one of the lucky ones that, that got to compete. So giving up some of those freedoms wasn't, you know, as, as bad as it maybe would be if, if, you know, everybody was out there playing and everything was, you know, normal. Um, you know, so I think that was kind of the big thing for us was like, look, we're lucky to be here. Let's, let's try to make sure we take care of ourselves and take care of our teammates so that we can continue to play. Was it something that you guys needed to talk about much or you just kind of addressed it early on as a group and, and didn't need to address again. Yeah, well, you know, 
I don't know how much of this is public knowledge, but you know, Dole had that first meeting with the guys. You know, unfortunately, I wasn't there. I was in quarantine for like the first eight days I was in Sioux Falls. Um, you know, but he had talked to the guys about, look, we need to make sure we're doing the right things. You know, we're not going out. We're not, you know, going on dates. We're not getting on Tinder. We're not going out to get, you know, drinks or going to eat at restaurants. We need to make sure we're, we're staying isolated in our own groups. You know, I think you know, at first guys were like, well, what do they mean exactly by that? But then they started to realize that, you know, one guy goes out and, and goes to the bar and, you know, is meeting people and having a nice time and, you know, runs across somebody that is COVID positive. And that starts this spiral that, you know, could end up affecting not only our team, but the whole league as a whole. And so I think everybody kind of knew that it was on them to make sure they were doing everything they could to be safe. I, I, I want to make it uh, clear, or as clear as you guys want to make it, how many positive COVID tests did we have on this team? We had one. We had one right away on the original, um, you know, to backtrack. As soon as we got guys coming in from from, from their hometowns, we tried to keep them as isolated as possible before we were able to get everybody tested, get the test turned around, get the results. And uh, it, it, in fact, came back that were, there was one positive case out of the, I don't remember, like 26 guys that came in. Yeah. Um, he was asymptomatic, had, had, had no symptoms at all, but we did the right thing. I mean, we followed the book with, with all the, the regulations and, and the, uh, the requirements for, for quarantining. So he, 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 he was... He, he he did nothing for two weeks. And mm-hmm. Unfortunately, t- to Mike's point, um, you know, in you know, even back backtracking even farther, most of these guys drive in or fly in. Well, we tried to avoid flights altogether, um, just limiting risks as much as possible. And and the one player that came in actually, Mike picked up on the way in, and as he as he alluded to, he he was out for a little while. You know, yeah. with their, you know during spring training, so he wasn't able to make that initial meeting. But, uh, but yeah, we, we only had one. And we tested a lot. That's awesome. Did, did you guys have to uh, play chaperone at all or, or monitor? Like, did you have to go bust down some doors at midnight or 1 a.m. At, at apartments just to see if they don't have uh, guests? Or would you just do the honor system and trust these guys? I mean, how did you, how did you approach that? Because th- these are not high school kids. It's not a boarding school. It's not uh, even like a college football team. It, this is, these, are, these are grown men. Uh, how did you go about that? How much how much oversight did you feel like you needed to have? From my well, standpoint, for- I you know not not really a whole lot. I mean, most of the time we we you know we'll find out if these guys are going out and doing extracurricular stuff. Um, but from my standpoint, not a whole lot. I mean, these guys are men, and you know there's hundreds of other guys that want to take their shoes, um, you know, or. or take their place on the roster yeah. and, and they had to be committed, I guess. But, but from my standpoint, very little, um, you know, to the initial, I don't want to say warning, but the, the stern conversation that we had that guys, we got to buy in. This is, this is the real deal. One, one, um, you know, positive test can really bring this whole thing down. Um, you know, but they did a really good job, I guess, Mike, from your standpoint, was it, was it any different? Did you feel like you had to, you know, for lack of a better term, babysit these guys? No, and I, I would like to take a second to, you know, pat Duel on the back. Um, you oh. know, I think uh, the Sioux Falls Canaries, we, we were kind of leading the way in protocols. You know, one of the things that we did really well was 
you know, our guys, we, like you said, we didn't fly anybody in. They all drove. We tried to keep them isolated. So they were only in contact with one other player. Um, you know, somebody they may be riding to Sioux Falls, you know, from Texas or from Florida or from Arizona or wherever they were coming from, you know, and then when they got to Sioux Falls, they were isolated with that, that roommate's, until we got our our tests back and made sure everybody was safe that way if we did have a positive like we did the one positive you know those guys weren't in the clubhouse you know with each other and the next thing you know we got to quarantine everybody um you know and we kind of led the charge in, in that way and some of the other teams started to follow the things that we were doing so i'm really proud of the fact that we were kind of leading the charge when it came to making sure the covid uh, protocols were in place but back to that question um no, to be honest, you, you know, everybody kind of policed themselves. You know, it wasn't something that I really had to worry about at all. Um, you know, players, you know, they, they didn't want one guy to screw it up for them. Well, they uh, held each other account- accountable, didn't they? Yeah, they, they did. They really held each other accountable. And, you know, and some of our guys had interesting, you know, circumstances. You know, they didn't, they didn't want, you know, to put themselves at risk. And so if – one of their teammates was doing something that maybe they didn't think was appropriate. They were going to let them know. And, and really, we didn't have to deal with any of that. I think everybody wanted to make sure they weren't the one that brought this thing down. So they, they did a really good job and, you know, were uh, maybe got a noise complainer here or there in their apartments because, you know, look, they're, they're cooped up in an apartment all day. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but no, it was, uh, it, I was really proud of our guys for that. And there really was no script for this thing either. I mean, we, I don't want to say we were making up, making it up as we go, but nobody's ever dealt with this before. So we, you know, we did the best we could with, with what we thought was right. And, and, um, you know, knock on wood. I mean, thank, thank goodness. We, I think we did it right. It's obvious. Uh, if you only had one positive test, we were able to get in every game here at the birdcage. And almost all the games during the season, I think two were canceled, but it wasn't COVID-related, right? We just had a rain delay or two, like the last two games of the year, I think. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and the Canaries go 31-27. and 27. They reach the championship series, and we will get to that on-the-field success because it was a major turnaround from recent years for Mike and the Birds. But I, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit here on our very first Inside the Birdcage podcast. I'm John Gaskins, Canaries Media Director. Duel Higby, the general manager. Mike Meyer, the manager, joining us from Tucson. Duel and I are in Duel's office and uh, on beer number two. Uh, so I, I try to take this chronologically because if people recall, the, the first game of the year was July 3rd. It was how long before July 3rd, Duel, that uh, you knew you were going to get a season? You know, I think it was mid-May. Mid-May. Okay, we so had you had like, a month and a half. I had go, like two weeks to plan this all thing. Right. I'm going to go all the way back to February and March. You know, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, Mike's putting together his roster already starting in November, December, and finding out who's going to be on his team. And by March, we start to learn of coronavirus. March 11th, I think, was the big day. I remember it was a Friday. We already were starting to have some stuff in sports canceled. We had Rudy Gobert, the Utah Jazz basketball player, gets COVID, and all of a sudden, it was just a domino effect. Every conference basketball tournament was canceled. That was the week before the NCAA tournament started. Locally, we had state hoops uh, pretty much cut off, I think, out in Spearfish, and the world just kind of stopped. So at that point... Uh, you, you dual said you and Mike were on the phone almost daily, just trying to figure out, cause you didn't know if you were going to have a season or not. When did, and you, f- what was the, what was the league telling you at this time? Were they telling you we are going to have a season? We may not have a season. What? And then when did you find out 
initially that there was not going to be a season. Man, that was such a whirlwind. It really, really was. Those 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 two months really leading up to the season was we're playing, we plan on playing, but we have no details. And you know, we a lot of the uh, a lot of it came down to who was allowed to play at their stadium and and who was able to have fans because this thing isn't possible without having butts and seats and being able to have a crowd. Um, and as, as, well, it as, is. I mean, uh, what, it what, is. what do you mean by that? Because obviously we've seen the NFL, college football, a lot of, we're seeing a lot of sports in empty stadiums. Yep. From a financial standpoint, there I mean, go. there you go. From a financial standpoint, it's not possible. Obviously the NFL has billion dollar TV deals right. and we simply don't. Um, so the fact that we were able to, to have, albeit a, a lesser, um, a lesser capacity at the stadium, we were able to have some fans and that, that simply made it possible. And as you could see, the St. Saint Paul Saints were our, our roommate here for the first month of the season. And they were able to go back into the beautiful CHS field and, and actually have fans, but they could have played there right away, but they weren't able to have any fans. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 from a financial standpoint, it would have been crippling. So did the league ever tell you we're not going to have a season? No. No, it, 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 I mean, our, our Josh Schwab and and, and Josh Buckholtz from the league level did an incredible job putting this thing together again on the fly. I mean, it, it, there was no script for this thing. And we were one of the first to be, to have, to to start a season. When, when did you find out that you were going to have a modified season? You said it was mid-May where they, was that when they decided that it's going to be a six-team league instead of twelve, or yeah, because really it, it, it and it, it wouldn't start for an extra month. Yeah, because midday is usually when you're doing your initial practices and exhibition games, right? And exactly. The season usually starts the last week of May is when the season usually starts. I believe mid-May is when the season usually starts. Okay. We have a, a you know a quote spring training is what we have, um, which is is twelve or fourteen days. I think it's twelve days. So we get the guys in a couple days beforehand. Normally, first part of May, they they fly in or drive in. We get their physicals, do all that kind of you know behind the scenes stuff to get them cleared to play and ready to play. Um, you know, Mike has 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 practice plans ready to go. We have three to four scrimmages usually against Sioux City and the likes of Yankton and Huron and Vermilion. Yeah. Um, and all those were canceled, obviously. So. Um, you know, it it was really a back and forth. We're going to play a hundred game schedule. We're starting on time. Wait, it's looking like it, it might be an eighty game schedule. Well, now it's a sixty game schedule. We got two weeks. Here we go. Let's get let's let's get it ready. Okay, so it was, but so you were given one more time. Mid May is when we knew of the sixty game schedule. Yep. No, can I can I jump? Yes, in? please. Actually, so it was way later than that. We started July third was the first game of the season. Right. So we had eight days of spring training. And then we had about a week to get guys in there. So we had about 15 days from then. It was in the end of June is when we found out we were a go. It was that Friday. So it was the Friday, June, whatever that day was. And we got the call that we're going to have a season. It's six teams, uh, 60 games, three hub cities, Sioux Falls, Fargo, and Milwaukee. Then uh, we announced the, the league announced it two hours later. We had a draft that following Tuesday to get the players that on the six teams that weren't playing. I forgot about were the draft. eligible for a draft on that Tuesday. So we had an order, a draft order, and, and we were able to draft those players onto our rosters to borrow them for the season. 
And so that was on Tuesday. I left Tucson on that following Thursday or on that Thursday. So we found out on Friday, I left Tucson on Thursday to get there for spring training in Sioux Falls. So we had dual had no kidding. He had about 15 days, not even, he had about seven or eight days to get housing set up for us, um, to make sure the players were there to get everybody in travel wise. And then he had another week before we started off the season July 3rd against the Saints at home. Okay. So it was it was nuts. It was crazy. Um, and as far as putting a roster together, it was insane. I usually have a few months at the end to finalize the last 12 or 14 spots on our roster. I had about five days to do it um, <laughs> this year. So it was it was really fast. Everything, you know, happened so fast. Duel and I usually talk every day, and we really didn't talk much in that time frame because he was – trying to figure out housing and, and getting tickets sold for those games because we finally had a schedule released, all that sort of thing. So it was it was pretty nuts. Well, not to mention we had four additional roster spots to fill that we had some key pieces that were sure. foreign players. And and we any guys that came on a visa that we had applied for months before weren't coming. Well, and that's, that's what I want to get to now is Mike has this – great opportunity where you find out uh, a you're cognizant that there is no minor league affiliated baseball uh, although players have contracts I guess so I, I'm going to try to grasp an understanding of how much all of a sudden bigger the pool is of players you can get because you had guys you planned on having coming here whenever the season was going to start but then a again no affiliated minor league ball were you able to get anybody who was otherwise in affiliated minor league ball into your club or were they locked in the, into affiliated ball? Yeah. So, you know, to go back to what dual is saying, we had four of our best players were visa guys, you know, that we were counting on coming from the Dominican and Venezuela and Mexico. And, you know, we find out the federal government stopped processing in visas. So now we got to fill those four roster spots. We had that draft. So we found out the Friday, um, that the season was happening. And on Tuesday we were going to have a draft for the six teams that weren't playing Gary Lincoln, Cleburne, Texas, um, Lincoln. I don't know who else I missed there. Um, they weren't playing. And so we were going to draft those guys. So we were able to fill a couple of roster spots from there. Um, you know, from those teams in the draft. And then to answer your question, John, we, uh, some of the, affiliates decided they were going to open up um, their players that didn't make their taxi squad. Uh, they would release them to come play independent baseball. So not all the organizations, uh, the twins, for example, decided they didn't want any of their players playing independent baseball. They didn't want them to get hurt or something like that. Some of the other organizations like the Tampa Bay Rays were pushing hard for their guys to get out and play independent baseball. So, I would say it was probably about 40% of the minor league players that weren't on the taxi squads for the major league teams that became available for us to grab. And on top of that, the Frontier League didn't end up playing a, a normal season. The Atlantic League didn't play a normal season. So a lot of those players that were under contract in the Frontier League or the, Amer uh, the Atlantic League became available for the American Association to grab. So um, it was... Uh, you know, there was a significant amount of, of, of new players. I would say it was in the thousands of players that became, you know, free agents that wanted jobs in the American Association. 
Um, and there was only six teams as opposed to the normal 12. So it was, uh, it was jam packed with talent this year. That's for sure. Well, what an opportunity for you, but at the same time, how tough of a decision and, and how much of a rigor was that to go through? You mentioned you usually would have a few months to decide your last few guys on the roster. Like by a certain point, you've got most of your team, what a few months before a season starts usually, and you just have a few roster spots to fill. And now when you get the green light to play a season, you guys would have seven or eight days to figure out everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but in Mike's case, as the manager, your roster. So like, Give me give a little more insight into what your life was like in that role. A, how did you decide yourself to compute these are my guys, whoever I have is my guys, no matter how many better players there might be out there that are allowed from minor league affiliated ball to player that might be better than the guys that I have or really good players that had been planning on playing on the other teams in your league or the other independent leagues. How did you compromise yourself? And I'm sure these were discussions with Duel as well. Uh, yeah. to, to what to do, how much did you kind of, um, toss your, you know, toss your roster over, I guess. Yeah. So that's a good question. Move all those well, pieces. And, and how many, by the way, and, and in this, I know it's a loaded question. Like how many phone calls did you get? Hey, I'd love to be a canary as well. I mean, this just had to be absurd. You try to figure was, out the best team that you can have, but also guaranteeing spots for guys you'd already spent time recruiting. Yeah, it was it was nuts to say the least. You know, emails. I would have ten, a dozen emails a day from agents, players, organizations. You know, t- these are the guys that we want to go out and play. This is our number five prospect, our number seven prospect in the league. You know, I was getting those emails probably by the dozens and phone calls like crazy. But you know, one of the things that Duel and I talked about was not sacrificing the amount of work we put in in the years before to build, you know, the reputation of being a place where you're going to get the greatest chance to become the best version of yourself. And we, we didn't want to just throw all of these players that committed to us, you know, throw them out the window and start over and rebuild. So we, we didn't. Everybody that we had on our roster, we brought into spring training. And just about all those guys made the, the opening day roster for us. Um, and the other thing we really didn't want to do was we didn't want to have a bunch of guys on loan. You know, obviously we had we had uh, Ale Lago that we had got in the draft from Cleburne, um, but you know he was our guy the year before. And um, you know we had a kid uh, Ryan Long that we had gotten the draft from from Lincoln that was with us for a good portion of the season. But really, other than that, we wanted to to have more players that committed to us that we had a chance of re-signing in the future that, that could be Canaries for a couple of seasons. And instead of, you know, like some of the teams, um, you know, decided it was a good opportunity for them to load their rosters with affiliated players. And that was, and that's great. And, and if that's what they wanted to do, um, you know, and, and they did, and it was well within the league's rules. It just wasn't something that we were interested in doing. And so we chose not to. And, you know, I'm kind of pretty proud of the fact that, you know, the roster that we had for the mo- most part of the season, you know, for all the season, we only had a few guys on loan uh, compared to some of the teams that had, you know, a dozen or so, um, you know, but for me in that that seven day span, uh, you know, finding out that the visa guys weren't going to be available, that we were playing the season, that it was going to be a short season, that there was only six teams. I had started to talk with some players just in case. 
so I had quite a few guys that I'd already, you know, had dialogue with and, uh, and we were able to wrap up some, some big pieces like Damick, uh, Ty Colbreth, um, you know, get those guys wrapped up last minute was huge for us. We had DJ Sharabi that we had, were in talks with for a lot of the off season. We were able to, to land him, uh, when the Olympics, uh, was canceled. So we knew we would have him for the full season. Uh, he being a member of the team Israel, um, you know, so, so we had some irons in the fire that we were ready to pounce on once we got the okay. But, but I will say it was, it was pretty hectic and, and, and stressful that, that two week stretch. Yeah. You had to say no a lot, I guess. <laughs> I had to say no quite a bit, you know, but I, and that was the other thing too, that, you know, I really wanted to kind of have good relationships with the agents, with the players moving forward, knowing that it wasn't going to be as easy to get guys in if we had an injury or if we had a guy that wasn't getting the job done because it was it was a process you know it was a it was a week to two week process to get a guy in cuz they'd have to pass a PCR test wherever they were from before they could come in and then they'd have to be quarantined and take tests in Sioux Falls when they got there just to make sure they were they were negative before we let them into the clubhouse and so you know, we had Duel had had a couple of conversations with some guys, and I had had some conversations with some guys just to make sure they were kind of dialed up and say, "Hey, look, I'm looking to make a move here probably in the next week or so. Why don't you start uh, going through the process? That way, you know, whenever we get the okay, you're good to go." Uh, and we kind of had to play it like that. Wow. Okay. So that's just that's a lot of that's a lot to wrap your brain around if you're a manager of uh, one of the few minor league baseball teams in America that we're playing games this year. And I guess, Mike, to a degree, uh, because of the ethics you were going about, made it a little easy on yourself to keep the guys you planned on having coming in here. And uh, and by the way, and I'll toss this into both of you where you can pick this up, because I want to take this in the direction of what it was like behind the scenes for Duel in the office, just getting uh, t- tickets sold and 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 adhering to protocols just to get games played here. And also the relationship with the St. Saint Paul Saints is a, whole nother chapter in itself um but uh the how do you i love the fact that you you stayed with mostly what you had had a, obviously had to replace the four spots for the visa guys so you were able to get you know you bring in a little more talent than you usually could but for the most part this was your team and this was despite the fact that you guys uh, you know were coming off of several Straight losing seasons. I mean, you you could have, you know, as an organization that on the field has just had a hard time winning a lot of games for a long time, could go, wow, this is, what an, what an opportunity. If we could get so many star players and totally just reshuffle our roster, and who cares, it's just for a year. I mean, we could, we, we could, we could win a lot of games um, because, again, some of the guys, Mike, were new guys. Some of the guys were guys returning from last year's team from 2019, which was, uh, again, you know, uh, under 500. So was there any part of, for either of you that where it was kind of excruciating trying to deal with deciding to stick with what you had or, um, you know, take this bountiful opportunity to, that you think you could win more games if you have this bigger pool of players to get guys from. Well, that's one thing I think Mike does better than anybody. And Mike, you can talk about a little bit and touch on it. Um, who, whoever we sign to contracts and, and commit to bringing in, we're going to make sure we stick to our word. And, and you know, so much in professional sports, yes, it's a business. Um, yes, technically players can be, I hate using it, but your property. Um, once Mike gives a contract to somebody and tells him, you know, gives him his word, 
he's going to bring them in and he's going to give them every opportunity to compete. Um, you know, and that's one strategy we have been trying to do um, over the last number of years is just create that, you know, keep that sense of humanity with, with, the, with these guys and not just shuffle them around. You know, we bring a guy in and he goes 0 for 8, boom, he's out the door, he's, he's, he's released. That's just something we, we don't try to do. So even this year when there was just, a, a, you know, quality players, you know, aplenty, um, we just simply didn't, didn't change our strategy. And a lot of that is, is to, um, you know, we want these players to come here and feel comfortable. We, but, we play at the birdcage and it's not necessarily the most, uh, you know, the most luxurious place to play or, you know, we don't have all the amenities that all these brand new stadiums have and, and making these players feel really comfortable and excited to play here and be here is really, really important in a strategy we've been trying to, to implement over the last couple of years. Do you go about that for either of you guys still wondering, is this the right thing to do? Because you obviously you fully believe it is the right thing to do, but it could be at the detriment to wins and losses. Um, or does that not, not, not even cross your mind? You're just going to do business the way you, you just explained. You know what I mean? Mike, I'll let you touch on that. Yeah, so for, for Dole and I, one of the things when I came back as a manager – one of the things that we wanted to do, we, we obviously knew that we had to bridge the gap talent-wise, that, that we weren't very talented for quite a few years. So we needed to do that. And we needed to address that. But, but with, with there being so many great places to play and so many great cities and so many great managers and coaching staffs and organizations in the American Association, we thought it was foolish to try to compete with the Joneses, that we needed to be a little different. We needed to be, you know, uh, think outside the box a little bit, make it more of a... Um, you know, a place that we care about you as an individual, not just what you bring to the table. So, if you know, if you have two bad starts, we got to cut you loose and bring in the next guy. We want these guys to tell their their friends who get released from AA or AAA, look, this is the place you want to go. It's, the, it's not the nicest stadium in the world. It's, you know, they don't have all the money in the world or whatever, but you know you're going to get the best opportunity to advance your career. And one of the reasons why I felt, and I think Duel is the same way, we felt comfortable bringing in the guys that we already had on our roster is we felt really good that if there wasn't the COVID year and it was a 100-game season with the roster that we had put together, we were going to compete for a championship that year anyway with the, the guys that we were able to, to build. And, and that stems from the uh, momentum that we had been putting you know, together with you know, guys saying, look, I was not expecting it to be this, you know, great of an opportunity in Sioux Falls. And when I got there, I fell in love with the coaching staff. I fell in love with the organization, you know, with how I was treated and, and it word of mouth, they start telling their buddies. And the next, thing you know, we're landing guys that we wouldn't even be able to, to, to reach on the phone. And we're starting to get those guys assigned with us as opposed to some of the big, uh, you know, places in the league. And, you know, so for me, I felt like the roster that we already had in place, was right there to compete with anybody in the league if it wasn't a COVID year. And then my other thought was, yes, there's all these players that are available coming from organizations, coming from, you know, different teams in the league or in, you know, different indie leagues that were available. But how do I know that guy's going to come and really compete hard for me in Sioux Falls? Um, you know, if I draft him in the draft or if I get him to come sign with me, where the guys that are committed to me, I know those guys are going to come into Sioux Falls and they're going to show out for us and they're going to lay it on the line and they're going to compete hard for me in Sioux Falls. And that was part of the deal was we knew we were very talented and we knew the guys that we brought in were the right guys that compete to compete in Sioux Falls. You know, and, and this is no knock on, you know, St. Paul or, or Winnipeg or Kansas City, but 
you know, it's not hard to get guys to come in and play hard in those places. They're, they're beautiful stadiums. They got tons of money. They get great crowds. You know, they, they have all the amenities. So it's, it's easy for those guys to play hard because they know if they, if they don't play well, they're gone in a, in a heartbeat where it can be a challenge at times when, when you sign guys to come play in Sioux Falls, when the surface isn't all that great and, you know, the dugout's small and, you know, we don't have, you know, 10,000 people in the stands and that type of deal. You got to get the right type of player. And, and we felt like we had that with the roster that we already put together. And we just needed to add a couple of pieces here and there with what became available to, to really get us, you know, moving forward. Duel. Well, I tell you what, there's there's no there's no Grant K, there's no Dominic Tomsha if there's not a Keaton Steele who who had a really yep. good experience coming here. And we knew that for a couple of years it's, it's gonna take some time to build our reputation back up in this league. And those guys aren't coming if 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 a guy like Keaton doesn't come here and, and enjoy his time. And we don't keep our word. Uh, people are getting a glimpse, not that I think most Canaries fans are surprised at how this kind of works with you have to recruit players here. That's how it works. It's like high school. It's like college coaches recruiting high school kids. You you, you recruit your players. There are no drafts. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've got a pretty good explanation of what you're up against in Sioux Falls. And, uh, and it had been – the media tends to harp on this just because it's right there, and that's what made a championship run so special was – uh, it had not just been 10 years since the birds had been in the championship series, but 10 years since there had been a winning season. So uh, for you, Mike, I mean, you're, I, I think we're getting a sense of what you sell the players. So obviously you believe it in yourself, but you're a guy who was here when the Canaries won a title in 2008 and played for one in 2010 and, uh, and came, and came back uh, after a couple of years gone. You wanted the job right when, when, they let go Steve Shirley after what 2013 and you didn't get it. And I mean, it's, it's, this is not an easy job. Um, why did, why were you so eager to take it? And why did you keep believing after three years back as manager, three losing years that, uh, that this could work? I mean, because I think a lot of people would get pretty discouraged and pretty downtrodden. It's, it's, it, it had been proven uh, just through almost a decade, it's really hard to win and have a winning season in Sioux Falls and to get, and get, get players to come here. Yeah. And you know, when I took the job as a pitching coach in 07, you know, when I took that job, there was a lot of people that that called me right away and said, don't, don't, don't go there. Don't take that job. It's an unwinnable job. You don't want to go there. And that just kind of fueled my fire even more. And I'd always enjoyed my time as a visiting player coming to the city of Sioux Falls. I always thought it was such a great town and, and it was really beautiful, and the weather was great, and there was great places to eat, and the people were really friendly, and they were passionate about baseball. And, you know, when I got there in 07, and, and we had a, a pretty decent, you know, year that year, and then in 08 we won the championship, and we went back to the championship series in 2010, you know, I got to see and get a taste of, of what it would be like and look like if we were one of the top dogs in the, in the league in Sioux Falls and how much people cared. And uh, I knew that we could get back there if we if we if we presented ourselves with, you know, the right type of attitude, right type of leadership um, to, to recruit the type of players that we had in those early years in Sioux Falls when we had all that success. We, we weren't getting, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, the five star recruits like you would in college. We weren't getting that equivalent. What we were getting was guys that were overlooked a little bit, guys that 
you know, struggled a little bit in certain levels in the minor leagues, guys that were hungry to prove, guys that had, you know, talented skill sets but didn't really, you know, get the opportunities to showcase them. You know, getting more of the two and three star guys to come in and we just we we gave them every opportunity to get better every single day and and make it a little bit more of a development type city than some of the other places where you come in and if you don't produce in two two weeks, you're gone and the next guy's coming in. You know, and that's one of the things that, you know, I talked to the ownership group and, and with Duel when I when I was interviewing for the job was I wanted to get back to those days where, you know, we we honor the process, we stick with it, we stay with our players, and we really build this for long-term success. And yes, it's going to hurt us short-term. We're going to have some setbacks. We're going to have, you know, some years where we're going to lose here early. But what it does is slowly it starts to bridge the gap talent-wise because when we get that word of mouth out, players start talking to other players and saying, hey, you had a great experience in Sioux Falls. You're going to love the coaching staff there. You're going to love the ownership group. The general manager is great. They do everything in their power to make it a good experience for you. It makes it that much easier in the recruitment process. And, and when you can do that, you start to have a little bit more of that sustainable success as opposed to like selling out, winning at all costs, and ruining relationships that you maybe build with players so that the next year you don't end up with, you know, the same level of talent in your recruitment class as maybe you could have if you would have had better relationships and, and build that report with the, with the players. And I think that's one thing that we've done an excellent job with these last four years. And, and yeah, we had losing seasons. But one thing I'm really proud of, of my time as the manager at Sioux Falls is we've had a ton of guys get re-sign back to organizations or get jobs in Mexico for, you know, boatloads of money. And we weren't doing that before, you know, it'd been six years since we had a player sold and, you know, we've had a ton of guys. I think we're like third in the league now and in, in players sold since I became the manager. So I'm pretty proud of that as well. We've really done a much better job of, of bridging that talent gap. And, you know, it was ultimately was just, you know, getting a little lucky and staying healthy and, and, and building that complete roster instead of having a, you know, a solid roster through 18 players and, and, you know, not being able to finish it. We had a solid roster through 23. So by building the reputation of how you treat and develop players here, uh, you were able to get better rosters year by year and finally the breakthrough this year. Because I yeah. think some people just assumed, well, fewer teams to compete with and a bigger talent pool. So, you know, this is uh, this could be an aberration. But you, you mentioned you were confident that, Again, just by good word of mouth and, and good development that you're, you're able to get increasingly better rosters and therefore good teams. And then that's another selling point. Obviously, now that you get, have guys going and getting those boatloads of money for uh, other places as using Sioux Falls as a jumping off point, well, then that's going to that obviously will be a good and I'm sure has been a good selling point to get yeah. even better players here. I want to ask Duel, and we're we're straying a little bit away from the big topic of the day, the long, strange, bizarre trip of 2020 through the pandemic. But again, uh, the Canaries made the championship series in this pandemic year. So that was a big part of the year that uh, they were playing well, and that helped pe probably get some people's minds off the pandemic a little bit. It's a lot easier, pandemic year or not, to go to the ballpark every day, I'm sure, when you're when you're winning some games and there's a little bit of a buzz and some excitement about the team, uh, whether you're the manager or the general manager. Duel, you've been listening to what Mike has been saying. Obviously, you and the owners were tasked with hire, making a hire as a manager back in 2017. So, you know, as you listen to this, kind of uh, tell us, tell us it, tell us from your side, building the roster, getting this team back to a, a winning team this past year. 
and, and, and how Mike did it and why you guys hired Mike and stayed with Mike. Well, Mike's a guy I've known, you know, I, I started here in 2013 as an intern. Um, Mike was obviously on the coaching staff at that point, I think through 2014, I think. Right, Mike? Um, That's right. Yep. You know, obviously Mike's a guy that, I mean, he, he doesn't just, I mean, he, he, he walks the walk. He doesn't just talk the talk. I mean, what he, what he, what he says is, is, is the true. I mean, he truly cares about Sioux Falls and bringing a winning program back here. Um, you know, when, when we hired him and even when we, we, we did the initial interview in 2015, I mean, we knew he was the man for the job. Um, you know, but obviously he had, he had been, had some ties with, with the, the previous coaching staff and it might, might've just seemed like a lateral move to, to bring in a guy that, that realistically was, 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 you know, a big part in the, in the, in the program prior to that. So, so it was a bit of a public relations decision. Was it, would you call it that? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. How did it feel um, to be on the part the, the other end of it, Mike? Is that how it was, it was explained to you when you didn't get it the first time around? Well, you know, I said this in, you know, interviews before. I'm actually really, uh, looking back, I'm kind of glad that I didn't get the job the first time around. You know, we always think we're ready, you know, we're ready for the next step or that new position or becoming a, you know, parent or whatever it is. And, and uh, you know, I had the opportunity to go down to Laredo and we ended up winning a championship in 15 there and we're on a really good club in, in 16. And, you know, I learned a lot more working with Pinacavilla and, you know, so I got to see a little bit different how it worked in a different place, working for a different manager with a different personality. And, you know, I think it really helped me mature and grow as as a teacher, as a leader, um, you know, as a manager. And so I think it would have been too early for me to get the job that first time around. So whatever the decision was and why they made it, I'm glad they did, because, you know, looking back, I wasn't ready to take over, um, you know, a team that had that many, you know, tough years in a row I needed a couple more years to develop my own you know personality and um, you know gain that experience and that knowledge before I could you know come in and try to do you know what is is a tough deal which is turning a a program around that's you know had uh, a a lot of years of losing yeah so it was what a couple years away and then the, the jobs open again the guy that they hired didn't work out and uh, dual is still the spot, same owners. And okay, take us there. Was it a pretty easy hire at the, at the, for the second time around? Yeah, I mean, it really was. I think we knew we knew we had our guy right away when we 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 opened it back up, opened the job back up. Obviously, we brought Mike in. We brought a couple other guys in, a couple of guys with some some serious pedigree. Um, you know, even at the major league level. And I mean, it, it just it, we knew right away Mike's the man for the job. I mean, like I said, he. He true. Nobody cares about Sioux Falls and bringing a winning, winning baseball team back to this city than than Mike. And you know, we're. I mean, we we have to simply do things a little bit different than the St. Pauls and the Winnipegs and the, the you know the Fargos, the Kansas Cities, the bigger markets. We can't compete with them. I mean, we we're all going after the same players, and you know, it it doesn't. You know, a lot of times it comes down to dollars, but you know, building this thing back up to 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 treat players right and, and make sure that they have a good experience here and aren't constantly looking over their shoulder was something that, that, that Mike and I had, had planned out, you know, honestly, before we made the hire. And again, we knew it'd, it'd take a couple of years to build this thing back up and people don't realize how small of a community the baseball world really is. I mean, when we're going after a free agent who's on, you know, double A with the Rangers, um, odds are he's played with somebody who, who we, 
we've had contact with in the past or has honestly even played here at some point. And everybody that comes through here, whether you're the 23rd man on the roster or the best player on the team, I think they all get treated the same way. And that's something that that's really, really important to us that, that, that our, our reputation amongst the, the baseball world stays, um, stays true and stays to kind of what we've, what we've kind of planned out. But Mike, Mike's the perfect person for that job. I mean, he's, he truly, truly cares about these guys and not just, you know, not just as, as, as a, as a, as a player on the roster, but you know, as a, I don't know, I mean, maybe as a friend, well, I mean, honestly, that, I mean, that was obvious to me uh, before I joined the team, uh, just covering it in the media from a sports talk angle and being a guy who enjoyed coming out to a game every once in a while, it was pretty obvious you could feel that passion for Mike. And so, uh, so we were all happy whether we hired Mike, uh, as in dual and the owners, uh, Tom and, and Mark, or just me watching just kind of as an observer. And certainly then as a guy who joined the team in, uh, J- July, we're happy. Uh, we're happy for him that, you know, the patience and everything paid off into a championship run. We're kind of running out of time in, in the podcast, uh, but the big, but we've heard about all the buildup that came to what was a successful on-field season and a, a championship series run. Yes, uh, it was, you know, you only had to get through half the teams in the league that you usually do to, and whatever, um, but you made it there. And, um, and not to mention the continuity in the league from a talent level. This is the best it's ever been. That's right. I mean, this is, so this is being, you're condensing a bunch of talent into six teams. So it really it was, wasn't, it was it really six wasn't, all-star teams. So was it actually harder to have a, a, a winning record and make the championship series than most years would be? Would you well, say that? I think so. I mean, even if you go back and look at the standings in, in, in past years, I mean, there's teams that are 30 and 70 and teams that are 70 and 30. I mean, everybody this year was, yeah. was right there. Yeah, you know, everybody's right around five hundred. The continuity was was better than it's ever been. The talent level was better than it's ever been. I and, mean, it was, and it was, that made for a fun season. And it made for really fun games at the Birdcage, where more runs tend to get scored, yeah. more home runs tend to get hit. Uh, weird bounces of the ball, Mike, and um, I mean, that's another thing you can recruit. Is it being a hitter's park that way? But it, the, yeah, absolutely. It, it helped that it was a hot start. You guys got off to a hot, hot start. Um, and so you were, you know, you're kind of in and around first and second place all year long. And, um, it's now getting to the point where we can't really get through every twist and turn of the season, but what was the biggest reason? Uh, we, we've talked about the buildup, so it all makes sense, but Mike, why was the 2020 team, the team that broke through, uh, despite tougher competition and, uh, you know, of course the, the COVID, uh, kind of thing that every team in the league had to go through. Yeah, well, you know, first I want to say that, you know, one of the things I'm most proud about with this run was the fact that we were able to, you know, get into the championship series when the talent was so condensed into those six teams. And it was the most competitive league I've ever been around at any level. And, you know, the fact that we were one of the two teams standing was is something that I'll I'll never forget and I'll be very proud of until the day I die. But the, the biggest thing that was different from this year than the last couple of seasons when we were pretty good um, early in the years and in stretches was, you know, it seems like we've got a little bit of a curse where, you know, we're playing good baseball, we're right in the hunt, and not only do we lose, you know, one of our number one, number one or number two starting pitcher, but, but we lose our number three starting pitcher and we lose our, you know, setup guy and we lose one of our best hitters. Well, that thing that happened with us. Jabari Henry goes down with the hamstring injury, and we lose him for the middle part. You know, about a month in the middle of the shortened season, 
Um, we lose three starting pitchers in the same week. They go down. The one thing that kept us in it, and it's the reason why we ended up getting through the playoffs um, where we've kind of melted down in the past, was our ability to stay afloat. And, you know, if you'll remember in the middle of that, the season here, uh, John and Duel, where it would be a Tuesday night and, and we'd get, you know, beat 15 to 1. Well, we knew we were going to get our tails whipped going into that game because we didn't have any pitching to get through it. So it was like, hey, let's just try to survive and, and stay healthy, knowing that we've got to win the next two games because we don't have a starting pitcher for the third game coming up. And somehow, some way, we always bounce back. We would win the next night. We would we would take a, t- a close one the the following night, knowing we had no chance of winning the game the next night, and we'd get beat twelve to three. And um, you know, but being able to stay afloat until we got Jabari back, until Colbreth got back off of injury, until we were able to land a, a Tyler Danish as a free agent, who you know obviously was one of the best starting pitchers in the league, but. We were able to get back healthy again, um, where in the past we've had those injuries or we've had that guy get signed to an affiliate and we haven't been able to recover. It's been, you know, lose a game, you know, then that turns into two and the next thing you know, we've lost, you know, eight out of ten games and, you know, it starts to snowball on you and, you know, the negativity in the clubhouse starts to build where this was a really resilient group that never quit and they understood that this, even though it's a shortened season, this is a this is still not a sprint. That we can't let one bad loss or one injury ruin everything that we had going for us. And and for them to to stay positive and to keep fighting through and battling through that adversity is something that uh, they should all be really proud of. No doubt about it. And it gave Sioux Falls a little something to be cheerful about all summer long. That a Got to be one of the few places in America that got to play minor league baseball, period, and play in front of fans, period. But also a team that, uh, again, got off to a hot start, got some buzz going, got some people excited, and eventually made it uh, into contention for the championship series. So that makes the end of the regular season compelling. And then, of course, you get to you get to play for a championship. And, uh, look, the beauty about podcasts are we can decide how long we want them to be and where we can stop because the whole part about the underbelly of the operation uh, from Duel's angle as a general manager <laughs> to, to uh, make sure those, those eight days where you got the, the green light to between then and starting the season was a whole whirlwind itself. And, hey, you guys... You guys are the bosses here. You're the boss. Do you want to do you want to go through that briefly now, or do you want to save it for the next episode? You know what? I think that's a that, that's an episode all in itself. Yeah. You know, I think we let's save it for another. Let's save it for for a week from now or two weeks from that's, now when we when we do number two. But th- this one and the whole point of this podcast is give people a behind the scenes look on on what it takes to make these things go. These things don't just you don't just hit the go button and and we're ready to play. I mean, there's there's so much behind the scenes that makes 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 what you see on the field happen, especially this year more than ever. I mean, 2020 was just hopefully an anomaly and something we never have to face again. But I mean, it's, it's a, it's a whole book in itself, maybe in a, even a series of books and, and <laughs> you know, it, um, yeah, you know, but I think we'll save that for, for, yeah. for future episodes. In a very good way, just for myself personally, having done, been in the same industry for my adult, my adult life being either TV or radio sports media and covering teams now being within a team uh, and how that all works. And this particular team 
and I, I mean this with the utmost uh, positivity, uh, could, you could write a good sitcom. I mean, just the just the people that the people that you work with and the things that you go through just in one day, uh, let alone a whole summer. I mean, uh, at a ballpark. I mean, there. I mean, there. There has been a series that has written about that. Are you guys Brockmeyer fans at all? I've by seen the it way? for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, do you get a kick out of it, or do you great. go, "Hey, it gives my industry a bad name." It's great. <laughs> you, Mike. No, I haven't, but I'll have to check it out. You, yes, absolutely. Um, well, we'll do that again then, Duel. Uh, and I'll give Mike uh, be, because we're not up against any hard breaks like we would be in radio. Is there anything else you'd like to say about your players or about the uh, the twenty twenty season? I decided not to do uh, a thorough post mortem about the championship series, which you know went to the went to the Milwaukee Milk Bend four games to one. But whatever else you'd like to uh, let me let to, me to say, go ahead before Mike jumps in. How often do you see in this league uh, a, 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 rota- a starting rotation that has 200 major league starts? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that's what, exactly what Milwaukee had. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. I mean, the talent, the talent in this league this year was just unbelievable. Mike, I'll let you finish. Yeah. You know, I, I just want to throw this out there as well. You know, with the, uh, with the way the schedule came out, you know, one of the things that Duel and I kind of chuckled about was, you know, six teams, three hub cities. You're going to have a hub partner. Ours was uh, we we got, you know, the fortunate draw of of having St. Paul Saints, who was the defending league champions, as our hub partner. Knowing that we had to play them 24 times, knowing that you know our season was going to be made or or, or broken by how we fared against them, and hmm. you know they've kind of been the class of the league for a lot of years, and and have been the best organization in the league for a lot of years, and and have been the winningest. Uh, organization in the league for a lot of years and so for us to uh to go against them you know pretty much every day and and come out of that series 13 and 11 um sweeping you know our last three games in chs um you know to really kind of take take control of that second playoff spot you know and ultimately getting in uh you know uh, having to face a team that had the third best record in the league you know 24 times that's something that uh you know, I think everybody should, you know, really think about and, and, and realize how special of a season we had, um, you know, this year in, in such a grueling gauntlet of a, of a season. So that, that's something that I'm really proud of. All right. Anything else, guys? I don't think so. Look All forward to more coming behind the scenes on Inside the Birdcage. A, a long, strange trip to the ship. <laughs> uh, Mike Meyer, thank you so much. And, uh, I'll speak on behalf of all of Sioux Falls. Thank you for wanting to be here and making the best of it here. And uh, we we're looking forward to 2021 and to chat with you more. I know you've got a lot of great stories to tell about your own career yep. and uh, just about being with the Canaries for so many of the last 14, 15 years. So thank you for being uh, our part, the part of our first inside the birdcage. Well, thanks gentlemen for having me. It was a blast. And, uh, you know, feel free to reach out. I'd love to do it again sometime. All right. Mike Meyer, the manager. Duel Higby, the general manager. I'm John Gaskins. How often are we going to do this, Duel? You know, I think right away in the to start the offseason, probably every other week. Right. Um, it depends on what kind of content we come up with. I mean, this is this is a lot of fun, and this is stuff we can we can we can bring up any topic we want. And like you said, Mike has a lot of stories. I mean, I think one we, we should probably talk about when he's living in an apartment 
maybe in Peoria, Illinois, if if I'm if I remember right, living in a, a two bedroom apartment with eight other guys. He had a mattress in the kitchen um, <laughs> with, with his wife visiting. Maybe that might be something fun to talk about, <laughs> or something along those lines. I don't know, but. Look forward to more con- content coming out of uh, out of Inside the Birdcage. A teaser of things to come. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All Thanks, right. Mike. Thank you. And Talk to you, soon. you bet. See you later. Thanks for listening to Inside the Birdcage, the Sioux Falls Canaries podcast. If you enjoyed it, and if you made it this far, you probably did, then please like us, review us, glowingly subscribe whatever the hell you do to get us more hits more listeners more people to enjoy the splendor of the birds do it and find us in most places you'll find podcasts i'm harry canary the inside the birdcage podcast is a harry canary production we'll talk to you next time whatever the hell we want to do it again on inside the birdcage Go Birds!